Insane, isn't it? Are we recording now? We are. You're not serious. Folks, we would like to introduce our first guest <laughs> on this podcast. Rhiannon, do not call her Rihanna West. We'd like Hi. to say to you, yay! <laughs> it's my baby. And, uh, yeah, so a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, uh, why? What, well, <laughs> why? It's lovely to have Rhiannon join us. Why this particular film as her debut? Because. She likes Friday the 13th films. A lot. A lot. <laughs> and I think she probably saw this film roughly the same age I was when I first saw it as well. I'm not afraid to ask. Well, <laughs> this came out in 1984 and I got it to rent in 85. Mm. So I would have been... Eight years old? Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. That's pretty young. Yeah. Well, I think we've discussed this before, but my parents had a deal with the video shop in that I could rent anything I wanted as long as it wasn't porn. Yeah, so you got porn by other By proxies, yeah. Um, <laughs> the wonderful thing about Friday the 13th is you occasionally get a bit of nudity in there, yeah. so it's enough to get you over whatever else you're doing and you can sit and watch people getting killed for the rest of it. So, yeah. Okay, now this brings us to the next question. We're talking about all kinds of interesting films. Yes. What the hell is this about? Why this one? Let, let me just preface that by saying there's a genre called slasher movies, which people yes. people probably don't even use that term anymore, do they? I think um, they do. I think there are still slasher films. Yeah, yeah. we go through it during college. We talk about slasher films. Yeah. So yeah. There's, and there's more slasher TV series now than slasher films. There's loads of slasher stuff out there. So of all the slasher films in all the world, why this one? I don't know. Um, That's I, a good honest a answer. I like the the vibe of Friday the 13th films. You've got always got Harry Manfredini's music. That's good. Yeah. That's one of the... I was going to say that's one of the strengths of this. And what's weird is that I can tell by listening to each score which film it is, and you'd think they all sound the same, but they don't. He does something different for all of them. And mm. this one, he's got a fantastic synthy, almost 8-bit noise that comes in every now and then, which I like. Um then you've got the, the setting, the woods, uh, the shack by the lake, and the idea that all these usually fairly awful people are going to get picked off and killed, and you're just waiting to see how it's going to happen. But with Friday the 13th, did you have any preconceptions about Friday the 13th? Had you seen any of the films? I, th I think I've seen another Friday the 13th film, but they all just blur after a while. Well, this is the interest. They don't. They are all uniquely different, for the most part. I meant all slasher movies. I, I think that. Well, I was watching this. I was thinking, why aren't I watching, for example, Halloween by John Carpenter, which is I don't think is a great movie, but it's it's a it's the Mount Everest of slasher movies. I would because argue. I know you've seen it, okay. and I think we both know it's good. Uh, well, actually, I think it's all right. Halloween. I've never been a massive fan of Halloween. It's but the music's big. very good. I mean, Manfredini's good, but the, 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 the Halloween theme is really terrific. The theme is terrific, yeah. but the chord hits all the way through it are not. They're quite dull. I don't go for them. I like that main Halloween theme, 
but you get the bong so every time. So there's what Michael you might up. call stings. Is that sort of well, thing? It's not even a sting. It is just a chord hit. Okay. Uh, it's just synthy. Uh, but there, an endless. Would you argue that this is a, this is a great? I mean, you, you're sort of saying this is the best part of the thirteenth movie. No, not remotely. <laughs> this the reason we watched this one is because the first one I saw. And oh, sentimental value. Well, partly, but also because I think it's probably one of the best ones to come in for because almost everyone knows about Friday the 13th. They just don't, haven't necessarily seen them. So I'm guessing you probably knew that, mainly most people know it through Scream, that the first film isn't Jason, it's his mum. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you no. see, I assumed you would, which is why we didn't start on the first one because mm. there's no point, if the spoiler's already there, there's no point going... Oh, so the twist part. was we think it's Jason, but it turns out to be his mum. Well, no, not at all, because it's the first film. Um, Jason wasn't even included, so the, the killer turns out to be Mrs. Voorhees. Oh, so know. hang on. Then was... Jason rises from the lake at the end of that last film, and then he's forever avenging his mum. Did the mum use the hockey mask? No. So there was no hockey mask in no, the first movie? not until the third film. Yeah, You're correct, because that's really weird, because I always assumed it was hockey mask and knives yeah. from the off. And the thing with the hockey mask, and this is what drew me to this film, was that in the video shop they would have the posters up of all the different films that were coming up. And the poster for Friday the 13th Part 4 is the hockey mask with an axe in it, and it's in a pool of blood. And I didn't know what a hockey mask was. I was only eight, seven or eight. Yeah. I thought it was a baked potato <laughs> with uh, an axe in it. So I just always just assumed <laughs> as a kid... Which is probably a sign that I was probably too young to be watching this film, but I'd assumed it was a baked potato and found that fascinating that someone had put a little face in a baked potato and then cut it with a bloody great axe. Someone's killing the great chefs of Europe, yeah. And I thought, well, what's this, the final chapter? With part four, what I thought was quite useful is that although it is part four of 10, 11 films, it does have that sequence at the beginning which gives you a rough idea of what happened in the previous films, which, in fairness, you know, is pretty straightforward. People got killed. Should I mention the cat flap? Yeah. The one in your house? Or <laughs> the one that just took place. It did. I barely picked it up this time. Oh, okay. That's a shame. Yeah. So, okay. Now, one of the things you said to me, one reason we, that we should watch this particular film, which is called The Final Chapter. Yes. It's not about number four of 11, I think you just said. Yeah. You said it has a useful recap at the beginning. What it has at the beginning is a kind of random montage of people being chopped up. You know, it does. It does, but it gives you a rough idea of the vibe and I what think, to expect and I how we've I ended up where we are. going in. Um, Let me tell you the big shock about Friday at the 13th Part 4. I thought by the time it's Part 4, they'll have decent production values, a decent budget. It'll no. be... No, no. I know. It was, it was like... But they'd had a series of hits. Look, don't get me wrong. If you look at the figures for Friday the 13th, you'll be astonished. The budgets were low, but they would make a fortune every time. None of the films made a loss. Only part nine was a disaster. And that's because it's awful. And it changed cinemas. It changed to New Line. and Sorry, production companies. New Line just threw this absolute muppet at it who got to write, direct, produce and everything because no one knew what to do with it. And he made a complete balls of it. So that's why that one didn't make any money. But the rest of them, you'll be astonished at the profit they made. But that's what I'm saying. All this money was pouring in. None of it is on the screen. Like, there's what? no improvement. You don't need it. If the first three have been you successful and make it. money, why change? Why throw more money at it? But normally, the, the normal thing would be, we've made a lot of money, we'll put a little bit of that back in. But they To didn't. achieve what, though? Well, I, I would have had a happier time. This, I mean, the thing is, this came across like as such a low-budget, crudely-made film that it seems like the first in the series, far from being the fourth. Oh, the first is much worse. 
That's amazing. And this this was the number one box office movie in America uh, at one point in the year that it was released. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And the reason I know that is because Joseph Zito, yes. the director, has had three number one box office movies. This one <laughs> and two Chuck Norris movies, Missing in Action and another one whose name I cannot I even think it's, pretty much. Oh no, it's not The Octagon, is it? No, so no. I would, would remember that as another one. It's about where he saves America from the terrorists. Oh, Invasion USA. It is Invasion Yes. USA. Well done. <laughs> But it's this is this is such. I know. Yeah, I'm getting the impression you guys love this movie, but it's yeah. so badly made. I think you've got to get into the spirit of things. That would help. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I'm not totally up for a slasher movie. I think there's one called The Slumber Party Massacre, which mm -hmm. is written by Rita Mae Brown, and it's it's fun because it's sort of knowing and it's the sort of winks. Like there's a bit in it where, if I've got the title correct, there's a bit where this. The killer is pretending to be the pizza delivery man, and there's knocks at the door, and the person answering the door says, "What's the damage?" And he says, six so far." <laughs> but there's nothing, you know, that, that reaches that sort of height of fantastic wit and uh, comedy and humor in this. By which I mean, it, this is pretty poor stuff. Well, wit has never really been part of these films. Fair enough. No. Absolutely. So, and when they try, it's bad. <laughs> um, we have had comedy characters in the past. Uh, I think in there is in five. this one they, they, they call him the dead fuck and he dances really badly Crispin right? Glover oh my god yeah oh he's Crispin Glover Crispin Glover is quite a well known actor yeah, isn't he George McFly from uh, Back to the Future you're kidding yeah that's extraordinary which I must, must have been the same year near enough uh, no in 85 Back to the Future so he's a, he's a proper actor yes poor guy well it's a, <laughs> isn't it an odd performance his dance is quite legendary it's from amazing. this film it's yeah. something that you haven't seen that. now I like um, Crispin Glover in this film I think I just felt sorry for him because I thought he's been given such a, a poor character to play oh he's got a big character when you look at all eight of the original films he's got a good part <laughs> some people don't even get that <laughs> um, no no Glover I, I think this is actually one of the better sets of characters in Friday the 13th mm. films so I'm just imagine sort of, what you've missed out on I, I'm just going to say Rhiannon what is it you like about this movie in particular, or Friday the Thirteenth generally. I saw the whole vibe of it, like yeah. the well, the story kind of. It's more what story? There's no story. <laughs> I'll say the story is only like really part one, part two. But um, <laughs> oh, I just like the fact that it's, I'm not sure. It's just the way that you know a masked psychopath basically goes around and just kills a bunch of teenagers trying to have fun. Yeah. Well, mind you, they probably shouldn't have been there to begin with since it should have been closed off, but. Well, this is That's an interesting thing about this film. Is that closed off? Well, they're not yeah. supposed to be there. Well, part three is also Crystal Lake, and there's just been a massacre there. Yeah, and it carries on from there. It's and people are still living on Crystal Lake and still quite happy to carry on going. And this goes on for eight films, near enough. Uh, they changed the name of it. Yeah, they point. changed it. <laughs> but that didn't do, that didn't work. They did nothing. <laughs> now, speaking of somebody who just dipped in, who doesn't have the deep familiarity yes. with the <laughs> franchise that you do, so this is a movie about a place called Crystal Lake. People have cabins around it. There's this dude called Jason who appears to be an animated corpse rising from the lake, as near mm. as I can tell. Not at this stage. Well, but there is a bit in this where there's, there's plenty of girls who decide to swim naked in this movie. Yes. Uh, probably mm -hmm. in the entire series. This girl swims naked out to a rubber dinghy, crawls in the rubber dinghy, and then uh, a, this corpse-like guy appears in the water. And so he is already a corpse-like guy in the water. Oh, do you mean the flashback? This isn't a flashback. This is the chick this who gets killed. Yeah. You know when that um, girl gets jealous of her boyfriend dancing one of the twins? Yeah. So she runs off, yeah. um, skinny dips into the pond, and then goes on that big 
floaty thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets murdered. Yeah, by Jason. Yeah. yeah. Who is a corpse from the lake. Well, not really. He's. What do you mean, not really? Well, at this stage, he's still just about human. It's not until part six that he gets reanimated as a an actual proper zombie corpse guy. Well, the, he, the, this sort of mouldering arm rises from the lake yes. at this point, so I just assumed he was a corpse. No, that was Jason. For, forgive what? But that is the Jason. corpse is Jason. Yeah. That's what we're saying. No, at this stage, <laughs> he's not really a corpse. He's still just about alive. Uh, the yep. distinction is a bit too fine for me to, to understand. Well, I mean, as a, a, this is where a big picture comes in useful, but um, for two two and three, I mean, in part two, he's walking around with a sack on his head. He's still pretty much human. Um, when he, did the hockey mask come into it? Three. Because um, that's the best best thing in it, is the hockey mask. The hockey mask is superb, and that's the amazing thing, is that it came in toward the end of the third film, which was the 3D one. And... Really, this was the first film where they used it properly in their branding and their promotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wasted on me because, you know, to me, it's a baked potato. But from this point onwards, it becomes quite iconic. In fairness, iconic. Matt would have grown up in a country where hockey is not a well-known thing. Absolutely. Well, hockey would be field hockey and people wouldn't wear masks exactly. in the goal. Yeah. It was something I see on St. Trinian's. Yeah. <laughs> no hockey masks there. Uh, so this is a really kind of bare-bones, cheapo-cheapo slasher movie. I'd say. Yeah, not a lot of money spent. Um, I think they get. I think Zito gets some good results. There's some nice sequences. The very beginning, when um, they're clearing up the crime scene, and firstly they've got a fantastic fake helicopter. Which. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> now the helicopter is well achieved because it's basically just sound and light. Yeah. Because I was thinking they couldn't possibly afford it. Oh, they just done. No, they've done yeah. it very cleverly. It's very well shot. Mm. And then everyone drives off and the sirens is all the, the sirens and the you know the flashing lights all disappear off into the distance and then you get maybe 20 seconds of just crickets and pitch black and it's silent and I really like that sequence it's like yeah for opening the film is chaos and then they've all gone and it's just back to nice and quiet and there are a couple of effective sequences usually making use of the the location which uh, the, the lakeside and the forest and it's it's you know <laughs> it's quite beautiful moody place but i wouldn't say that it's ever a well-made film well okay maybe a couple of sequences once right. again um you need to look at the big picture here in terms of it as part of eight films which i realize you're only seeing one of them um i'd say it's definitely one of the better made ones uh sometimes things are pretty there bad. are a couple of sequences there's a bit where the guy they're playing an old film on an old projector yes and when the film breaks and it keeps flappity flappity flapping through the uh on the sprocket wheels and the uh it's still projecting on the screen that's kind of effective i'll give you that um it, another thing to bear in mind is when it comes to the effects and the kills in these films is that they were just under the attack all the time from the sensors so they would constantly have to cut frame 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 and just keep cutting it back and losing all the kills and that's where your money tends to get spent which is something they never learned as the films went on. They spend a lot of money on a bloody effect that then yeah, wouldn't end up on screen. a lot screen. of time and money spent on those, and then all you get to see is one tiny clip of it. And forever I've been wanting proper, uncut releases of these films. <laughs> one that really suffers from that is Part 5, and Part 7 as well, but Part 5 especially. Were they even censored in the States? Because... The old big time, that was the oh. worst part. I mean, over. I think in the UK we actually got a little bit more, but half the time they would just submit the cinema cut anyway, because there's not a lot of point recutting your film for the UK rental market. It was never going to over yeah. here. Um, so, some, you know, in terms of budget, the money was getting spent. It just, unfortunately, usually ended up on the cutting room floor. 
And there's not a lot of point in spending a lot of money on actors so when you're only going to kill them. Rhiannon, how did you get into these Friday the 13th movies in the first place? I honestly don't remember. How old was I? You were about the same age as me. Same age. And of I, course. I think we watched this one first, actually. I honestly wouldn't remember so long ago. I, what actually happened was I tried you with Sleepaway Camp and... Which is kind of a, a rip-off of this. Well, <laughs> we can't discuss that because it's on your pile to yeah, watch. Yeah. So Fair we enough. can't go into that. But Fair there was a comment. part of that that you just were freaked out at and didn't understand. So I thought we'll try a different slasher. Because yeah. you'd really enjoyed zombie flesh eaters. <laughs> Did I now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought we'd go with something with teenagers in it because the part of... The excitement of the cat has caused the... Uh, her arrival has caused the microphone to talk over. <laughs> she's, she's, she's never she's never made a sound during these before. I think she must be taking a keen interest in zombie flesh eaters. Yeah. <laughs> meow. No, um, she doesn't shout out normally. Yeah, there's a there's a bit in zombie flesh eaters where uh, a young woman strips off and goes uh, topless scuba diving. Okay. <laughs> and for, as a kid, you found that absolutely hilarious. So I thought, okay, maybe you will relate more to young women in a mm. film. Um, under pressure, so I considered Halloween, but I thought probably that's a bit too much. That's a bit too but much. Then you terror. did Nightmare on Elm Street, which is yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street was one that really freaked me out as a kid. So I did that. I would never know. Thank you for that for scoring me. But Nightmare welcome. on Elm Street is fantastical, whereas this theoretically Friday the Thirteenth could sort of happen in a way that Nightmare oh, couldn't. I mean, they're both boogeyman films. Yeah, but Nightmare on Elm Street is a full-on supernatural boogeyman. I suppose Jason develops into that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, it does yeah. big time. We're not into the supernatural territory yet. Um, that, like I say, that's six, seven, and eight. Well, rotting cadaverous arm coming out of lake. I, I, I know that we discussed that at length earlier, but we still didn't come at to any stage, conclusion. he's still not dead. Okay. Yeah, just barely. Yeah, I, I can't stress this enough. <laughs> um, you say about the acting, well, you've also got Corey Feldman in this one. Which one's Corey Feldman? The kid. Uh, Tommy. Now, the things I liked about this film were the kid, but mostly because the kid is building a monster movie prosthetics, masks yeah. and stuff, which I thought was going to be a plot point. There was no plot point. Well, there kind of was. He makes a sort of mask at the end to make himself look like Jason. He cuts his hair back, so he's quite good at modelling all that stuff on his head. Oh, yeah, he doesn't yeah. make a mask. All he does is no. alter his hairdo. But I well, suppose that's supposed to somehow link back to his interest in movie makeup. I think what it comes down to is that Tom Savini was doing the special effects, yeah. and Tom Savini is just one of these people who likes to show off his stuff on film. So yeah. he tends to end up making a cameo appearance in the film as a model of some yeah, sort. Because this little boy uh, just sh shows these things that he's built, including these masks and faces that you uh, are. Yeah. Well, I forget what you call that, where you can slightly animate them using. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's animatronic, but it's yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, the wire work thing. So I thought that was going to pay off big time. It didn't pay off big time. The other, I also liked the dog. <laughs> I, the dog's called something like Gary or Glenn or something. <laughs> it is Gary or Glenn. I can't remember yeah. what it's called either. But but uh, um, and I was really relieved the dog didn't get killed. Mm -hmm. That was my main Sorry. main thing. Animals don't usually die in these films. You usually get away with it. Animals and kids survive. That, that's usually your rule. No, that and virgins. That, really? Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I just assumed that all all the girls were uh, uh, slasher bait. But it, the one thing I would say in defence of this movie is, hello, I'm saying hello to my cat here, hello, is that it, it's an equal opportunity killer. They kill the boys as much as the girls, so that it's not it's not, it a, it's not a sexist evil slasher film. Although there is a poor overweight girl early on who seems to be the butt of a lot of jokes. Once again, this is one of those things that happens with these films, is that the censors cut the film up so much 
that you end up having a really short running time so you have to go back and reshoot a couple of kills to fill in the gaps so in this case you've got a hippie who just is hitchhiking and has no relevance to the plot but is added in much she's later she's holding up a sign that says Canada and love yeah. I'm so, what does that mean? do you mean I, I, my destinations are Canada and love is that what it means? maybe she can't spell chlamydia <laughs> <laughs> No, I was hoping that you would have a, an insight into that, but you, you know... It's a new one on me, sorry. But you, do you, it's Joseph Zito, Canadian. Do you, but you've seen this movie. I'm not I describing I, I the sequence I don't you haven't think seen before. You're, I think you're putting way too much relevance in her to the plot. I think she was added in late in the day on a reshoot just to pad out the running time. Well, you're saying that you'd have to add material because of cuts, but those censorship cuts in a, in a slasher sort of sequence... They're only going to be a few seconds here, a few seconds there. You're not going to lose minutes and minutes, are no, you? No, it's all down to context and the event that's happening. And this is what uh, sex as well is a big problem with them as well. So if you've got any scenes along those lines, it has knock-on effects throughout the film. So if you've got someone that's killed, for example, say something goes in their eye and the sensor objects to that effect, if you've then got a cutaway later of that corpse with that thing in their eye, you still can't use that either because it's still the same effect. So you're going to have to shoot something to show that that person's dead, otherwise they've just vanished from your film. Well, this movie does seem terribly badly edited. There's a point where you're not even sure what house you're in. Like, There's a bit where they're in... There's a house full of these kids who've come to Lake, they're all being slaughtered, and there's a house full of people who sort of live on the lake. Yeah. And we're in the house full of kids being slaughtered, and there's girls going upstairs, and then suddenly you see the young boy in his house and, and it's so badly cut that you think it might be this for a moment the viewer thinks it might be the same house it might even be deliberate maybe you're meant to think that so you think oh the kid's in trouble it's in the same house I think it's just, it's just bad, bad editing cut. bad editing <laughs> um, another budget plus I would say with the stunts I think you've got some good stunts in this film mm. there's a scene where she jumps out the window rolls down the roof and off the that side and into the ground the, well, isn't, doesn't she hit the top of a car, or is that a different one? Yeah. There's two. There's one where she hits the top of the car, and there's another one where she just hits the ground, and both are really good. Both were, looked very convincing. There must have been a decent stunt woman or a very good cross-dressing stunt man in this. Well, nine times out of ten, Jason's played by a stunt man. So that's a first part. That's the easy part. Later on, they get Kane Hodder to play him. And but neither of these were Jason. Are you saying it could be the same stunt man? No, I'm uh, just saying they've got a good stunt arranger. So ah, usually they're the stunt man. Right, right, right usually doing both jobs at once but in the case of those I don't know who the stunt woman was on these films but she's really good because um, even though that one where she hits the ground you can see that there's a mattress under the ground but oh, I didn't see that no I no, um, it completely fooled me and the, the, the hitting the roof of the car I thought how did they do that that looked yes. painful well this is one of those things of going back frame by frame we were talking about this earlier that actually you'll see the car windows blow out far earlier than she hits the car um, so that's all just set up, and the car roof itself is cushioned. Uh, so, yeah, so, so it, she's just hitting a soft roof. That's interesting. Yeah. But and then false perspective allows you to have air you would, blow out. Yeah, you were you were talking about uh, how this spoils the magic. Yeah, this, this, well, it frame advances ruin yeah. films. So, so, so there were a couple of effective uh, stunts in there, but it's it's surrounded by incoherence, bad acting, perfunctory stuff. It's just yeah. Would you watch another Friday the Thirteenth by choice? Uh, the whole rationale of this podcast is that you can pretty much get me to watch anything. I would, if I was going to watch another Friday the 13th, I would want one that was as different from this as possible. I guarantee you that any other one you watch would be. Yeah. Uh, firstly, they've all got different directors, which helps. I've got to ask Ren in this, what's the appeal? The appeal? Well, for me, personally, I think it's just, just a bunch of teenagers, like kind of my audience. It's kind of easy to relate to them more. But I think it's just... I'm not sure, it's just kind of a... Teenagers like to see teenagers getting killed. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's when, fair enough. Love that stuff. <laughs> when you were little, you used to feel really sorry for Jason. Oh, yeah, I felt awful for him. Yeah. What? What? No, think about it. Think about it. <laughs> when... I'm not serious, right? Yeah, no, go for it. When he was a child, he was left unsupervised and he drowned thanks to two counsellors who weren't paying attention. Therefore, Jason obviously drowned and died. And, you know, it's not really his fault that he became like this, to be honest. If the counsellors weren't so horny and actually, you know, paid attention to what they were doing, oh. this, it might have, this wouldn't have ever happened. But I think, I generally felt bad for him. I think... You felt like he was looking for friends. <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> I mean, it's a fine line between like you know dying and making friends, but you know. That was your obsession with it. It was quite strange. Really? Um, no. I think it was part seven. Was the one where, you, yeah, you you were convinced he was looking for a friend in part seven. That's the one with uh, Tina and the side. But I'm filling in these interesting gaps. So so Sorry. okay. <laughs> now camp counselors. A lot of people won't understand what the hell we're talking about, but in America there's this tradition that you send your get rid of your kids for the summer. You send them off to summer camp, and counselors are the sort of slightly older kids who look after them, who've been hired to look after them. And there's this great tradition of the counselors who are older teenagers or in their 20s or something. They just want to get the kids out of the way so they can get off amongst themselves and have. So, what I'm gathering from what Rhiannon said is that a couple of these counselors were out bonking and not doing their job, and as a result, the neglected, the unsupervised child drowns yeah. while swimming, and that's Jason. And this is what triggers his mum later on to go around killing counselors, and she's yeah. getting revenge for them. And then when a counselor kills her, oh, oh. Jason's like, "Oh, I need yeah. to kill the counselors to finish her job." He raises up from the uh, lake and kills the last counselor. So, so hang on. So Jason's been a, a, an animated corpse from the off. Yeah. Wait. Well, yeah. No, because they kind of forget this with part two, and he's no—he's pretty much human for most of part two. So he's so retrofitted uh, oh, yeah. narrative. It's very difficult to plot a full path because the years don't work either. Um, you know, some of this is meant to be set in—they've uh, they, got flashbacks that don't work. Uh, it, you you don't—you shouldn't concentrate on it too much. It gets even more confusing with part ten when you get to the end of part ten. Oh, yeah. It all loops back to the yeah. beginning again. So. Yeah, you guys love this stuff, and the, and and it's, it sounds like its inconsistencies and stupidities actually add to its charm for you. I would argue that in terms, if you're going to watch a slasher film, your expectations can't be too high. Yeah, you, you, you're watching a slasher film. They could not, be higher than this. I don't know. <laughs> I think you'd be hard pushed to find a better set of slasher films than Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. I don't think Halloween is all that good, and I think it's massively overrated. And it's, it's very dull. Yeah, and it keeps being rebooted. And it relies on a lack of logic in that Michael will just appear and disappear from all manner of places. Of what? Unlike this? Well, with Jason, you have an expectation of that. With Michael, they're making out that this is a real-world thing that is actually happening. What you're sort of saying is because, it, because it's so much. It is so much better made. It's a coherent. I'm talking about Halloween now. It's a coherent yeah. film with. High by comparison to this, high production values. It looks realistic. It's itself, you know, it, it seems to be taking place in a consistent and realistic world. Whereas this is just like, okay, it's, but it, we're at the lake. There's going to be some nudity. There's going to be some really bad acting. There's going to be some really random killings. That's about it. Well, that's this one film. I'm sure the, yeah. the rest are a series of Fellini esque masterpieces. I think Part 5 is, and I think it's a massively underrated film. Okay. Um, part 5 uh, deals with Tommy, the little kid, having grown up, and he's been in an asylum. 
Oh, the, the, the makeup kit, the, yeah. the, uh, the special effects and kit. And he's still making his masks and little models. And he's gone to this uh, home with a bunch of other kids, quite close to Crystal Lake, kind of fortunate. Uh, <laughs> that'll help him. And um, he's still quite disturbed. And people start dying all around the place. And the idea is, is that you're meant to think that it's Jason doing it all the way through, but it ultimately turns out that it's not Jason at all. Well, you, I'll watch another movie. You've convinced me. You will well, not convince my cat, who twice in the course of this podcast came in to say what a terrible movie this was. It's the first time she's came down to listen. I know. <laughs> um, well, that's, I see you, you could argue it both ways. I she's think I would by this probably movie. go for Jason X well, for the next one. Uh, well, okay, but on the condition that Rhiannon joins us for that podcast. Do you want to? Yay! Yeah? Okay, we'll do that. We'll um, we'll line up Jason X somewhere after the next 50 films that we've got to do. <laughs> um, interesting. I didn't think you'd like this one. I, I didn't like it, no. to, to be completely honest. And I, I was looking forward to talking about it because I desperately wanted to know what the appeal was, yeah. why it forced it upon me. And what I gather is the appeal is really just that it, on a personal level, it means a lot to you guys. I suppose, yeah. I One of my main memories of this film is when I first rented it, my sister and I were watching it, and our neighbour came around, this guy called Nat. Very quiet guy, very rarely said anything. And he was standing in the doorway, and it was that scene in the hospital where the guy's head gets yeah. sliced off with a saw. Mm-hmm. And he was watching it from the doorway, and he went, ooh, he cut his head off. <laughs> and it just it made us laugh at the time. <laughs> it just, this, just took it in his stride. That's what we were sitting there watching. Um, so yeah, good memory of that. Was this the first movie of this kind that you ever saw? No, I'd seen Elm Street at that point, but in, uh, Elm Street's not really a slasher; it's still no, a horror yeah. film. Uh, and there's no nudity, and it's less explicit horror, and it's supernatural. So it's very different from this. So I'd say that this was probably um, a pivotal movie for you. The fun with this was that every year you could go down to the video rental shop, and sometimes you'd find a new box, and they just kept coming—five, six, seven, eight. Um, so that wasn't about to start a song there. <laughs> dance. <laughs> dance. Um, and then you get to nine and you wish you were dead. But um, yeah, then ten comes along and everything's great. So we'll mm. give ten a go. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I've got will a the, feeling you're going to get more out of ten than you did Will the production out of values improve? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank it's, Christ. Yeah. I think you may be surprised. <laughs> I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. I think we should give the last word to my cat, who's twice in the course of this podcast interjected. I do. Well, in terms of last word, we've already covered it a little bit, but I do think we should. Harry Manfredini's music on these is fantastic. I really thought that. Um, I did think that, that it was one of the great strengths. I do recommend, movie. if you get a chance to get hold of any of his other Friday the 13th soundtracks, just a yeah. standalone. They're worth grabbing. Just yeah. have a little listen. But. Yeah, generally speaking. Well, something we can all agree on. That's yeah. <laughs> At least the music's good. <laughs> At least the music's good. That's my thing. <laughs> what did the twins go on to do? Nothing that I know of. Um, mm. Before or after, um, I think most of the rest of the cast just did. Yeah. But um, I mean, Corey Feldman and Kristen Glover—that's not bad going. That's your two big hitters for this film. That's true. So yeah, and right. of course Josita, who gave the world Chuck Norris <laughs> box office number ones. All right, bring on the cat and and the next film. Excellent. This has been a podcast by Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. And very importantly, a big shout out to Joe Kramer, who did the fantastic theme music, which you heard at the beginning. <laughs>